Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time together to come and to uh, worship you. We would ask that you would just enable us this morning, God, to uh, not only to understand your word, but to uh, use it to define who we are in our lives and to do what it says. Because you've called us, God, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Thank you for what you have to say to us through the book of Ephesians as we start it today. We pray that you would just guide us in this study this summer, that you would enable us to understand and apply it to our lives in such a way that it would help us to live life in a way that is better than we've ever lived before because we have our identity in you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this morning as we begin, uh, if you were to a- ask, uh, answer this question, how would you say, who would you say that you are? Uh, if you were to define yourself, uh, give a description of your identity, how would you define yourself? Would you define it by your economic circumstance, I'm rich or I'm poor? Would you define it by your, your roles in life, well, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a, you know, I'm a spouse, I'm a... Uh, I'm this. Would you define it by the role you play in the workplace? I'm an engineer. I'm a. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm an Indian chief. What are you know? Whatever it is that you are, I mean, wh- how would you define who you are? If somebody were to ask you the question, "Who are you? Who are you?" Well, this summer we're going to spend time looking at a book in the Bible that helps us to define that in a way that that God wants us to, to define it. Um, it really, the whole book of Ephesians, which we're going to start today to talk about, and we'll be looking at it all through the summer, uh, is a book that, that really is a letter that um, helps us more than anything else to understand uh, who we are in Jesus Christ, uh, who you are because who Christ, uh, Jesus Christ is. And so today we're going to look at the first 14 verses of chapter 1. So if you have your Bible today, we're going to jump right into it because i got 14 verses to cover. And, uh, and you'll understand as we go through the this, this scriptures over the next few months, uh, next three months, that uh, some weeks we'll be looking at one or two verses and, and expanding on that. Today, this is really the, uh, the reason I can only look at this in a, in a context is the first three verses is kind of intro. And then verses 4 through 14 were actually, in Greek, one sentence. Yeah, Paul got real excited when he was talking, and he just kind of, you know, how you do that sometimes, you know, and you, you know, Paul must have done that, and actually verses 4 through 14 are actually one sentence in Greek, so how do you break up a sentence to not teach on it? So anyway, we're going to talk about the first 14 verses today in in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And I would encourage you this summer to uh, read through the book of Ephesians, read through it. Uh, it's only six chapters. It doesn't take that long to read through it. You can read through it in several translations. Over the last couple of months in preparing for this, I've read through it probably in about five or six translations and read commentaries and other things, uh, listened to pra- pa- other pastors who have taught about this as well. And uh, really, it's just a really tremendous book. Today, we're going to use this first first thing today to talk about this whole thing of who you are in Christ, who you are because of who Jesus Christ is. And let's get started right into the scripture this morning, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now, I stop there a second because if you're in, that's an NIV, but in other translations it says, it says, uh, it says to the saints who are in Ephesus, Uh, The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we use the word saint, uh, so often, what do we think of when you think of the word saint? You think of a a dead person, right? You know? 
Is, this is not what it's talking about. The word saint is used wrongly so often in Christian circles because we think of saint as somebody who's died and done something tremendous, so they're sainted or something like that. Well, that's not, you know, that many, many, many times in Scripture that if you're a Christian, you're called a saint. Now, I know you don't think of yourself that way, right? You know, I'm not a, you know, feel of yourself or anybody that's a saint, but a saint is, is, is really somebody who is, who is set apart. It's somebody who's set apart. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, according to scripture, you're a saint. And it says also you're God's holy people. Uh, and, and then it says, you're, uh, it says the faithful, and then it says in this verse, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And, and this term, in Christ Jesus, is a key term that we'll find throughout the whole book of Ephesians. And it's used at least 15 times, maybe a few more times, in the book of Ephesians to describe who we are in Christ. In Christ. You'll hear that over and over and over again. Because when Christ looks at us, when God looks at us, when God looks at us and, and observes us, and we're a Christian, he doesn't see us. He sees us in Christ. And we'll understand why that's important as we go through this, this sermon this morning, this, looking at this passage. It's kind of like this. We as people live in an alien environment. When you're a Christian, you live in an alien world. You live in a place where, you, you know, you look around you and the culture is different and you're going like, ah, that's, that's tough. It's, it's like a deep sea diver. You know, you go down and you're in, the only way a deep sea diver can survive is how? Hold their breath? You know, is that how they, no, no, they have an, either an oxygen tank or the guys are deep sea divers that have the, the tube that goes down with the oxygen being pumped to them. One of the two, they're in an alien environment. And the only way they can survive is, is to have this other thing, this other thing in their life that supports them and helps them through that environment. As Christians, in a sense, when we are not, when we live like we're not in Christ, we're kind of like in an alien environment as well. And then in, in this verse as well, I'm going to use a lot of different, go through these passages pretty quick today. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. So often we just kind of overlook this because if you've read Scripture and if you've read uh, the New Testament, and almost in every one of Paul's letters, and he wrote a bunch of letters, every one he starts with kind of the same general introduction, the same general, general greeting. And it's kind of like when you read a letter and, and it says, dear sirs or dear whatever your name is, you kind of like skip over that, right? You just kind of like ignore that because you go, that's just part of the intro. This is important to you because grace and peace is, is something that's very important to us. Grace is God's undeserved gift in our life. And so when Paul says this, he says, he's saying, God is going to, we're going to talk about what God has given to you that we don't deserve. God's undeserved gift in your life. Ray Stedman, who is a scholar, said this, Grace is all of God's power and all of God's love and all of God's wonder available to you. And then it says, and peace, it said God's peace. God's peace it gives you freedom because, folks, like I said, we're in this alien environment in the world. If you're a Christian and things in the culture are pushed against you, and so we're in a battle. And the only way that we can have, have peace is that God gives it to us in the midst of the battle that we're going through in life. And so that's the intro, the first couple of verses. Then verse 3 is where we're going to kind of start today really into this. Verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's that term again, in Christ. In Christ, that, that term again. And, and as we look at this today, he begins this. This is kind of the introduction really to this next uh, uh, section, verses 4 through 14, where it talks about this, uh, what the spiritual blessings are. 
uh, he's saying to us in a real sense that God is going to give us everything we need to live life. And to answer that question that I asked you a while ago, who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? Because so often when we live our identity based upon things that are other than in Christ, we will be in trouble. We will be in trouble because we can never live up to that or it does, it's not enough to really define who we are in life. And so today what we want to look at is the blessings that God gives us uh, and it talks about it here and it, it helps to define who we are and live our life in such a way that we can live life uh, aggressively for God. And so we're going to look at that today. There's seven blessings from God that's mentioned in the next, uh, next uh, 10 verses or 10 or 11 verses or so. And like I said in Greek, it's, it's actually this next verses 4 through 14 are actually one sentence, which is uh, really long. And so just, you know, if you want to sometimes just, just read it without taking a breath and, and you'll understand, you know, the Paul must have been very excited when he wrote this as well. Okay, so if you like... If you like um, <laughs> If you like uh, to take notes today, there's an outline in your bulletin, and there's fill in the blanks, okay, for those of you who like to do that kind of thing. And so I'm just getting ready to tell you, this is, you're getting ready to fill in blanks right now, okay? And uh, you can do that. If you don't, you can just ignore it and uh, throw it in the floor, or something, make a paper airplane, throw it somewhere. Do whatever you want to with it, and uh, we'll deal with that. But this is for those of you who like to take notes, uh, and we're getting right into this. Okay, what are the blessings, that, what are these spiritual blessings that God has given us in Christ. And it says he gives us every spiritual blessing that we need. Let's look at those. Number one, the first spiritual blessing is this. God chose us to be holy and blameless. God chose us to be holy and blameless. Verses, uh, verse, verse four, it says in Ephesians one, it says, for he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know what this says? The first thing it says to me is that he did it before the beginning of the world. He says that your, your salvation, my salvation, is not an afterthought of God. God didn't just create stuff and, and come along and go, oops, I need to do something about the problem of sin in people's lives. He knew, he knew before the world started what was going to happen. It's a part of God's eternal thoughts. And so God has been thinking about us even before we were born. He knew that we, he knows us and knows who we are. And then it says that he chose us, he, he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And holy, the word holy means separate and distinct. It means that we're set apart. Once again, it's that thing of being a saint, that we're holy, we're separate, we're set apart. God chose us to do that, that we're to be different people. And then it says we're to be blameless in his sight. Blameless means, in a, in a real sense, a very literal translation of that word means a sacrifice fit to offer God. That we are a sacrifice, God, through Jesus Christ, in Christ, we are a sacrifice fit to offer to God. And so often we think of ourselves as people who are simply, you know, so many people have so horrible self-images in our world today. And we get it by, you know, just the, all, the life itself just beating us up all the time and things happening to us. But God says in Christ, the first blessing is in Christ, he has chosen us even before the creation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, separate and distinct, a, a sacrifice fit to offer God. And then in verse 2, uh, the, next, the second, the second uh, blessing is this, that God has adopted me into his family. God has adopted me into his family. Now that's a big deal uh, 
I'm, I'm not adopted. I, I know some of, you, some of you may be adopted, and I don't know what that means for you, but I can say this, that God, God's uh, adoption is a big deal for somebody. It means that you're chosen in a special way. And here's, this verse is going to really confuse some of you. Uh, you're going to go nuts at this verse because this is a verse that confuses so many people. Okay, the next verse. Okay, I'll just say it right up front. And I'm not going to get too deep into it today. And some of you will be frustrated because I'm not going to talk about Calvinism and Armenianism. Okay? And some of you are going like, well, thank goodness. What in the world is that anyway? Um, I could get off track and go somewhere like that. But just tell you, this is where it all kind of, most of it comes from. And I just want to tell you what I understand it to mean here. It says this. In verse uh, 5 and 6, it says, in love. And here's the big word. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, and this is a term that, to the praise of his glorious grace is a phrase you'll see throughout this, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now the word predestined has caused a lot of confusion in people's lives uh, because because it, in this chapter, it talks about this whole thing of predestined, and it talks about us being adopted and chosen and all these different things. And, and the confusion comes in this. How can I be cho- chosen by God and still have the opportunity to choose? You know, isn't that tough to understand? How could God know what's going to happen? It's kind of like this. If God is new from the foundations of the earth that, that what we're going to do, how can he not make it happen? Is that, is that make it, that's, that's the simplest way to describe this whole issue that I can think of. It's got, God, God, the God of Scripture that I know is all-knowing. The God of the Bible knows all things. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omni-everything, okay? He understands and knows all things, but at the same time, you know, we have this issue of, it says, we were chosen, but how can we choose? And so the question for many people is this, is my life... Is my life all predestined or laid out for me? It's all God's choice, or are there some choices I have to make? That's the question that we have all the time. So I thought I'd just uh, do what Jesus did all the time, and so he'd answer something by asking questions. So let me ask you four questions. Number one, question number one, are we able to make choices? Are we able to make choices? Would you say yes or no? I would say absolutely yes, because let me tell you what, obviously, otherwise, if we, none of us could, if we only did, if we're all robots and never made a choice and didn't have any choices, if we all did it, we would always do what God wants us to do, right? If we were, God, God made us make the choices. We have choices, and so we would not sin. But the reality is, is all of us sin. Obviously, people choose to sin. We'll talk about them, not us, okay? And, uh... You know, obviously other people have the, have the option of sinning if they want to. So obviously we, have, we are able to make choices. Question number two, does God have absolute control? Does he know all things? Does he, is he ever surprised? Ah, no, okay. God is, I don't think God's ever, oh, I couldn't believe they did that. You know, that's, that's us. That's not God. God is never surprised by us. God is in absolute control. Once again, I say the scripture is you look at the God of scripture, of all of scripture, God is in control. Okay, so number question number one, are we able to make choices? Yes. Does, does God have absolute control? Yes. Question number three, does this make any sense to us? Those two questions together. 
Does that make any sense to us? Well, to me, no, absolutely not. How can God be absolutely in control and we still have choices? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I can't understand that. So question number four, can something be true even if it doesn't make sense to me? Let's just be honest. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's kind of like this. Okay, I got a coin here. And on one side is a head, and on the other side is a tail. I can look at both sides. I can look at the, the tail side and the head side. And I can see either side at, at given time. But if I want to see both sides, if I can turn it on edge zone, I can't really see both sides, can I? I can only see, I can turn it back and forth, you know, and play with it, look and kind of see it really quick. When I look at it on edge like that, though, I really don't, I, I can look at one side at a time, this side at a time, but I really can't understand too much about both sides at the same time. Is it a fact though, that both sides have something different on them? Yes. Are they still part of the coin? Yes, they are. Uh, you know, it's kind of like one side's the free will side, another side is God's sovereignty side. That means that God's in control side. A and the thing is, is they're both true, but I can't figure them out at the same time. The problem is this, the Bible says, see, the, this whole debate that we go through, this Calvinism, uh, Arminianism, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, this whole debate is basically man's desire to understand what I think is unknowable. Because there are some things we cannot know. Scripture itself says it. Just one verse, Romans eleven thirty three 33 says this. It says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. It's the truth that some things, I mean, I believe the Bible teaches that God's in control. I believe the Bible teaches that we have a choice. How do they reconcile? I don't know. I know you're all just excited about that. The fact that, because you just want direct answers, Right. But it's a matter of faith that God works in that in some way. We'll come back to that in a little while. I love what J.I. Packer said, a, a theologian said about this. He says, you know, he said, let God be wiser than men. So often we want to think, you know, we want to know all things. We want to know all things. And some things we just can't know. So I don't know how that works out. And so this whole, uh, this debate, I mean, if you go to seminary, it's all, you debate all kind of weird stuff like that. And, 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 and you sit there and then you come out and there's people on both sides that are like, folks, I don't know. I believe that God's, I believe that we have choices and I believe that God's in control. And how they work together, I don't know. It's a mystery, but it's a truth. And then it says in this verse as well, if you look at this verse as well, as well, it says, God has adopted me in his family, and he says he has predestined us for adoption. Adoption. Adopted. Every one of us is created by God, the Bible says. But we're not automatically a part of God's family just because we're created by God. It says we are adopted into God's family. We are, we are adopted into God's family. Romans 8.15 says this, For the spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the spirit makes you God's children. And by the spirit's power, we cry out, cry out to our Father, our God, Father, my Father. See, adoption is a process that God said. God says, I want to adopt you into my family. I created you. I have a purpose and a plan for your life, but I want to adopt you into my family. I want to choose to do that. God makes this choice. And adoption, by this saying this in Scripture, it says to us about our identity in a real sense. It says, God says, adoption says, you are wanted. You are wanted. When somebody adopts somebody, you know what it says? It says, you are wanted. Do you ever think about it that way? That's basically what adoption is, saying you are wanted. Is that important in our life to know that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely important to know that we're wanted. 
See, and it says adoption, and it's adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will is what it says. It is God's pleasure. It's God's part of his plan to adopt us and to do us like. It makes God happy to do that. And what is the reason God adopted you? It says in this, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's a strange phrase, right? To the praise of his glorious grace. What in the world does that mean? It means it's not because we deserved it. It means that we're adopted because God, he wants to bring praise to himself. He wants to bring praise to him. And anytime God does something like this, it brings praise to him. He wants us to come into his family. You're not simply whatever you define yourself to be. He says, in Christ, in Christ, you're chosen. You're adopted. Number three, blessing number three. We are redeemed and forgiven. We're redeemed and forgiven. Uh, verse seven and eight. In him, we have what? Redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Not that he begrudgingly gave to us. He lavished on us and with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption, that first word redemption is an interesting word because you know what it means? Redemption means this. It means a ransom paid to deliver someone who is incapable of freeing themselves. It means that God has paid a ransom for us that we could not pay for ourselves to free us from ourselves. It also means to loose from something. It also means to purchase something to be set free. Uh, redemption, he says, we have, been, we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then it says, and then we also, it talks about, it says, then the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness has two different meanings. It has a religious meaning and it has a legal meaning. Uh, the religious meaning of the, the word forgiveness is this, and this, the picture is here. It comes from um, the Jewish sacrificial system. It means to carry away. It means to carry away. God wants to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and he wants to give us forgiveness, to carry away. And in Le Leviticus chapter 16, it's really interesting because what there we see something, this sacrificial system, where they would actually do something very physical to kind of, kind of symbolize um, the forgiveness of sin. And they would take two goats. It says, if you want to read this, read Leviticus chapter 16. I'm sure you read it every day. Um, Leviticus chapter 16. And they would take two goats, and the, and the priest would bless the, both the goats, and then through this little process of elimination, it's kind of like a loser goat and other goat. And uh, just read it, it's kind of interesting. Um, one goat would be chosen to be sacrificed upon an altar, actually killed. And, uh, and, and then through the blood of the, of, the, of the goat, you know, the blood shedding of blood would be part of the sacrificial system of forgiveness of sins. But the other goat, I guess is the good goat, the, hap, the, the goat that, well, it's really not a good goat either because it's not really what happens to his great, but, but at least it get killed. Uh, the other goat, the, the priest would take his hands and place it upon the goat and kind of symbolically place all the sins of the nation of Israel upon the goat and then release the goat into the wilderness to no more be taken care of, and, and symbolically to let him go, to carry, and he would symbolically carry away the sins of the people. You know what the term for that, that goat was? A scapegoat. Okay, you never heard, that's where it came from, a scapegoat. He took upon him, uh, on the sins symbolically of the people and carried them away. And forgiveness here has that, in a sense, that religious meaning, carry away the, the sin that, that we have in our life what we deserve. There's also a, a legal meaning. And the legal meaning of the word forgiveness is to cancel a debt. It's to cancel a debt. Uh, Psalm 103.12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. 
Now, this forgiveness of sin, this canceling of debt, this freeing of the slave came, the Bible says, with a very great price. A very great price. The cost is the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And forgiveness in, Christ, in Jesus Christ was not something that God did it begrudgingly. Well, I have to do that. I don't want, you know, so often we do things that we should do, but we do it in a begrudging way. Right? Yeah, we do a lot of things in a begrudging way. And, and, and because we know we should do it, but we do it in a begrudging way. But it says that he lavished upon it. He says he lavished upon you. He says he really wanted to do this. And, and so he's, he's given you this, this offer. He wants to take away all the things that would hold you back from being who God wants you to be. He wants you, that to be a part of your identity. And he's lavished his, his forgiveness and his redemption upon you. The question is, have you received it? Have you made the choice to receive it? And, and that's the big question here, because it says that God wants to give it to us. He's chosen this process to do that. But, uh, but for us to receive it, it's hugely important. Blessing number four. Blessing number four. God has shown us the mystery of his will. This is a strange thing here, but let me explain to you. Let me, let me read the passage first, verses 9 and 10. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, the word mystery here basically means this. It means, in, in the Bible, it means a secret that has been revealed. A secret that has been revealed. And the secret that was not, that people kept asking, and we keep asking in some sense, is how do we connect with God? How do you and I connect with a God who is holy and perfect in all these different ways? Because we just can't do that. We, people have tried, religion, the whole process of religion is the process of people trying to find a way to connect with God. And so the, one of the blessings that, that, that uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul talks about here in, in, this, in this verse is the mystery that God has made known to us. How do we connect with God? And he, and, he, and he says, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. The mystery of God's will is what? It's Christ, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He said, God has given us a blessing of not, no, no longer do we have to wander around trying to figure out how to please God and how to honor God. But now what God has done, he's given us this mystery. He's revealed to us this mystery that how we connect with God and how, God is, uh, how we can connect with a loving God, a holy God, is that God has given us the way to do it. It's through Jesus Christ. And the fact is this, because Jesus Christ is, is at the center, it kind of talks about this here. It says, uh, to be, uh, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach the fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's in, in a sense, the, when Christ came, it was the thing that bonded everything in history. It was the culmination, the central point of everything. And that being the case, because Jesus Christ is at the center of all history and the center of all eternity, my identity only makes sense when he's at the center of my life. Does that make sense? Since he's the culminating thing, when Jesus is the center of all things, unless he's at the, the center of your identity, unless you get your identity from Christ, unless you're in Christ, then what happens is, is you're going to be off kilter in everything else in life. And that's the mystery of God. Uh, God's will is Jesus Christ. Uh, Blessing number five. Blessing number five. I am chosen for an inheritance. I am chosen for an inheritance. Verses 11 and 12 said this. In him, we were also chosen, 
having been predestined according to the plan for him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. That's that phrase again. It says, in him we were chosen having been predestined. We were chosen. Now, let me explain something here. The Bible is clear, I believe, that God has given us a choice. And our choice that we have in a real sense is this. We can either look for our hope in Christ or we can look for our hope in dozens of other things. Dozens of other things. But God also has a choice, and God chooses us in Christ Jesus, is what it says. And we get to know God because of his choice to love us. Truthfully, folks, without God choosing to love us in Christ, we would have no hope. We would have zero hope because you and I can never measure up to what to, to God is. God had to choose and had to predestine a way for us to be connected with him. And he did that in Christ. That's a blessing that he gives to us. And, and, we, can, and we can know God because of, uh, because of his choice to love us. Now, these two ideas of my life being predestined and me having a choice, these are two truths, like I shared with you a while ago, with a coin illustration that, 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 are, that have to be believed. You have to believe, in a sense, I believe that God is in control, but also that we have a choice. We have to have those two understandings, but they have to be in balance. Let me tell you why they have to be in balance, because if you go to one extreme or another and you focus on one or the other too much, what happens is it leads to extremes. If you lean too far in one way, it leads to what's called fatalism. And fatalism says it really doesn't matter what I do because God has already made the choice, so, so it really doesn't matter. I'm either lost, I'm either found, and what I think doesn't matter. And so you become fatalistic, and everything about life is just fatalism, and you, just, you don't care anymore. That's what it went to the extreme of saying that there, there is no choice for my mankind, and we, God has chosen everything. Now you go to the other extreme, though, the other extreme, if you lean too far the other way, you come to humanism. And humanism it, it, uh, says this, uh, it's, it's only my choice that makes the difference. I'm in control. And so what happens there, that God has no part in the plan at all. See, it's God's choice for us that makes the difference, and then he invites me to be a part of that. It's got to be in balance. You've got to have both. It's not either or. It's both and. Now, the Greek word here for chosen in verse 11 is an interesting word. It's not used very often, but it's a word called eklothemia. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Eklorothemia. Not that you have to understand that, okay? It doesn't matter, really. But let me explain, explain why I say that, because it means something than other, more than just chosen. It means a chosen possession. It means chosen as an inheritance. That's a literal translation of what it means. It means that you are God's chosen possession, and as a chosen possession, you have an inheritance waiting in heaven. But there's more to it than that. In a sense, and this is the hard part of this, describing this, you are also an inher the inheritance. You were chosen as God's inheritance. Let me ask you a question. As a human being, what can you give God that he doesn't have? This is stump, stump the people question, you know? I mean, you think it's, you, you, you know, maybe today's Father's Day, and you have one of those fathers who has everything, and you were trying your best to figure out what to give your father, and you're going like, I don't know what to do. Well, let me, you know, let me tell you, is there anything you can give God our Father that he doesn't already have? Yes, there is. Your heart. Okay, that's the only thing that you can give to God that he doesn't already have. 
He's given to us everything we need. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's according to Scripture. He owns everything. But there's one thing that he wants that proves to him that you really love him, that you care for his, the, the thing that he has. And he wants to bless you with, 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 with eternal life and with an identity that's in Christ. And he says, the only thing you can give me is your heart. And when you give God your heart, you are recognizing that you are a chosen as an inheritance to live out who God has made you to be for all of eternity starting now. Not just when you get to heaven. Being a Christian is not just about heaven. Do you understand that? It's not about getting your ticket to heaven. I mean, that's a byproduct of, of this choice. That's just the continuation of starting now. But God says that when you give him your heart, the only thing you can truly give him, then what it means is, it means this, it means you've, you understand that he's chosen you and he's given you something. And he wants you to, that's part of God's blessing of understanding that. Blessing number six. I am included in Christ. Verse 13, and you, were also in, you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Do you like this list about, you know, list of people who's who's who? Any of you on who's who, don't raise your hand. You know, list of who's who list, you know, you were who's who in college, who's who in high school, who's who. I was on who's not. I was on those lists, okay? Uh, you know, you know I just, just that kind of deal. You know, let me explain something to you. Some of us, you know, most of us, you know, you know we, we just simply say, you know, I'm not anything special. I'm not anything special. Guess what, who's, whose list you're on? God's. It says you were included. You were included. Included in Christ means you're part of the in crowd. God has chosen you to be a part of the in crowd, the part, the part in Christ crowd. You were his who's loved. You were his who was chosen. You were his who was included. Uh, men, let me say, this is Father's Day, okay? Men, so often we get our identity from the wrong things. When I get with men in which, you know, we sit there and talk, men, what do we talk about? Let's just be honest. Our jobs. Women, we don't talk about you. Okay? We do occasionally. We'll get around to that eventually. But when you meet a guy, the first thing they talk about is what do you do? And, and it's not about who you are. It's about what do you do, which means who I am. You know, so we get our men's group on Saturday mornings and we first introduce ourselves and we go around, well, I'm a teacher and I'm a farmer and I'm this and I'm that. I'm, you know, and then we talk about what we do. So often in life, we have this, this struggle in life to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? And men, so often we answer it by, oh, I'm power man or I'm pleasure man. Or and we don't say that, but, you know, we act that way. Or, or, or I'm material man because we talk about all the stuff we have. As if that provides our identity. And God is saying to us, he's saying, no, you're, that's not your identity. Folks, let me explain to you. If you're a Christian, okay, I'll pick on cat people this morning, so I'll pick on half the crowd here. Okay? Your identity, if you're a Christian, is not that I am a cat employee. Your identity is that I am in Christ, and I work at cat. There's a big difference between making your identity. I'm an engineer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a marketing person. I'm a, you know, whatever you are. And so often we get so hung up 
We get so hung up on this idea of identifying ourselves by these things that we do that we lose sight of the fact that we're in Christ. And what happens? What happens when we have these two competing identities? They can't blend them. God says we can't blend them together because being a God's, God's man and anything else doesn't work because they're competing. Yes. You need to you know, work hard, have a good, you know, there's nothing wrong with working at CAP, by the way. I wasn't giving you a hard time, okay? But the issue is, that is not your identity. My identity is not, I'm a pastor. That's a role I play. My main identity needs to be, I am in Christ. And guess why that's so important? Because when we define ourselves by anything else, what it comes along with that baggage? It, what comes along is that we define ourselves by a certain thing, and it provides values and behaviors that go along with it. Values and behaviors that go along with it. And because I'm a certain way, because I do this, because I do that, that's how I behave. And when in Christ is not your main identity, guess what? Then the values and behaviors that come along with being in Christ take second place in our life. So we need to understand that, guys, today. I'll just pick on you because it's Father's Day, okay? Women, I could have picked on you as well, but it's not. It's not Mother's Day, so I'm not going to pick on you today at all so you get off the hook. Okay, number seven. Number seven. Last blessing. And this is huge. I'm glad he finishes up here. He says this. I have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. I have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Verse, uh, last part of verse 13, verse 14. When you believed, it says, when you believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What he's saying here is this, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is a seal that marks us. When you come in, the Bible tells us that when you become a believer, guess what happens in your life? You receive the Holy Spirit. You may not feel anything different. You may not experience anything different at first. But you says the Holy Spirit is in you, which allows you to follow God's values and to follow God's plan for your life. He is, God not only lives, uh, you, he lives in you as well. We're in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's kind of like this. Remember, I, we don't do this much nowadays, but in Bible times, when they'd have an envelope and they would send something to someone... And they wanted to make sure it was something important and nobody else saw it. They would mark it with a seal. They would take wax and drip it on a paper and put a stamp on it, with maybe with a ring or a signet or something like that. And they would do that and would do it where, where the envelope would open or whatever it was or whether the paper was scrolled, rolled up or how it was. And the only way the people would know if it's been tampered with because of what? If the seal was broken. If the seal was broken. It, the seal of the Holy Spirit implies two things. It implies ownership. That, that this is the, you know, the seal was stamped on the, the letter. It's, it's God says, you're part of me. It also implies protection. It protects the contents of the letter in the, in the seal, but it also protects, the, protects our lives. See, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a deposit who guarantees our inheritance. So often in life, folks, we are afraid, we're constantly afraid, constantly afraid that, that God is going to, you know, just... I use the term being an Indian giver, okay? You know what an Indian giver is? I don't know if y'all use that term or not, but we use it in Virginia. Um, it's a person who gives something, takes it away, gives something, takes it away, gives something, takes it away. We're so concerned that God is going to do this, that, that, we're, that we can lose our salvation in a real sense, that we constantly go around and we don't live, we're afraid. We live a life of fear all the time. We do that. But the Bible is saying here the Holy Spirit is a deposit 
who guarantees our inheritance. See, God, first, first of all, folks, God chose you. This is what it said to start with. It wasn't about you to start with anyway. And all you have to do is accept the fact that he chose you. And you have to act upon that fact. And so you, you weren't the one to initiate your salvation to start with. You weren't the one who initiated your relationship with God to start with. He did. It's incredibly clear by this passage, and it just passage alone, along with a lot of other scripture. But the Holy Spirit, he says, is a deposit who guarantees our inheritance. Um, the terms that we use so often is things like the Holy Spirit is God's down payment. It's guaranteeing what is to come. We use that term in our, in our you know, if you buy a house, what do you do? Usually, except for certain loans now, um, you have to have a down payment, right? And what's the reason for the down payment? It's a guarantee that the, the other payments are going to come. And what happens if you, if you don't uh, follow through? You lose your down payment or you lose that, that guarantee in a real sense. The, the thing is this, God has guaranteed in a real sense our eternal salvation with no less than what? Himself. Himself, His Holy Spirit. And when we understand that God has given us this guarantee, it says the seal of his Holy Spirit in our life, what does it do for us? It provides us confidence. It provides us certainty for now. And the implication, I think, is this, is that when we understand how certain we can be in God and our, and our identity comes from Christ, and we're living in Christ, it leads us to risk more for our faith. I've heard one, people, one person said, said this, the most dangerous person is the one who has nothing to lose. The most dangerous person is the one who has nothing to lose. And folks, in Christ, if your identity is in Christ and you've accepted him, you have nothing to lose. You can go out and, and, and live aggressively for God. You see, because of God's promise, God's seal in his deposit, we can live aggressively for God and his purposes. See, the reason this is so important, and we're going to wrap up with this and close, and the band's going to come out in a second and sing a song, and we'll go home. Um, the, the reason this is important, this whole summer we're going to be talking about this, and this is kind of these first 14 verses kind of lay a, lay a foundation for everything else we're going to talk about the whole summer, and it's going to be very practical and very helpful. I Hopefully you're in the summer, because I love the book of Ephesians. It has so many good things to talk about, and it's all over the map, too. Kind of, it's not like just one thing. It talks about relationships with our, with our, with our uh, kids. It talks about relationships with our spouse, relationships with, uh, with other people. It talks about how we live life and day-to-day in all kinds of ways. It just, it just talks about all kinds of things. But the thing is, is that th- that's so important, is that when we understand that our identity is in Christ, you know what that means? It means that we live life differently than when we understand our identities in something else. We live life differently. And I want to tell you, there's nothing better than understanding and living out of the fact that you're in Christ. It gives you a holy boldness to live life in a way that you've never lived before. Now, I'm not a big risk taker. But I've probably risked more and done more for Christ than anything else. I'm not a guy that's going to jump off a cliff, you know, because I want to do cliff diving or something like that, you know. But in Christ, I can do all kinds of things because it's in Christ and hint through Christ living in me that I'm able to do the things because it's him working in me. And I understand that. And I want you to understand that and live that way as well. So as we look at the book of Ephesians, I, I hope this summer as you, as you go through the series that it'll help you to understand how to live that way in Christ. And that when somebody asks you, who are you? 
Who are you? Who are you? Who do you say that you are? You'll say, I'm in Christ. Christ lives in me. That's my number one identity. That's the way I define myself. And because of that, it means everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, you are, that, that we are blessed uh, with your gifts. You give them to us, and we, you've described it in this passage. We thank you, God, that you're bl- we're blessed by your grace, that you give us uh, these things that you give to us as undeserved. And, we're, and we thank you, God, that, that we're blessed because it brings you glory, God, not us. Because when, things are, when we live life in the way where we understand our identity is in you and not in our jobs or in our relationships or in anything else, uh, then, then we begin to live life in a different way. We live life with more freedom. We live life with more vigor and more enthusiasm. We live life in a way that makes a difference in our world. God, you have called us as believers in Christ to make a difference in our world, and we do so not because of our own power, God, but because of what you can do in us and through us. Thank you, God, that you have chosen us. You have given us your Holy Spirit as a seal of, and a guarantee of your presence in our life, and that you incredibly love us, God, more than we could ever imagine. Thank you, God, that even before the foundations of the world, as you were forming things, God, you knew about us, you, you saw us, and you, you, you chose us, God, to be for you. But God, at the same time, we thank you that you give us the option of choosing you, God, back, of, of, of accepting the choice that you have made for us, God. That we don't, we're not robots, that we're people who have choice. And boy, is that risky sometimes, God, because sometimes we choose the wrong things. And in doing so, God, it causes us all kind of pain and suffering and difficulty in our lives. And so guide us now this morning, God, as we just trust in you and as we live our lives in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.